Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So it is no secret that I am a fan of fat. In fact, if a food is labeled low fat, you can bet I will be running in the opposite direction because that usually means that a mess of chemicals and processing was used to initially remove the fat and then make it still taste somewhat edible, which that's still debatable. But let me just say that fat is not something to fear. We need fat in our diet. Did you know our brain is 60% fat? That's kind of important. However, it is vital that you are eating and cooking with the right type of fats. Otherwise, you can be causing yourself some serious health problems in the future. In today's episode, I'm going to dive into the fats I will not allow in the kitchen and what I use instead. I'm your host, Jill Winger, and for the last 10 years, I've been helping people just like you who feel uninspired by modern life. I'll show you how to create the life you really want by learning how to grow your own food and master old-fashioned skills. So I started my kitchen transformation, I would say around 11 or 12 years ago. And it, honestly, the catalyst for that was blogs. I started reading some different stay-at-home mom blogs, and they were talking about things like coconut oil and sucanat, which I had no idea what that was, and talking about how to do different things in the kitchen with better ingredients. And it opened up my eyes for the very first time to what I was eating. Because honestly, up to that point, I was not only oblivious, I also didn't care. I like flat out didn't care. It's kind of embarrassing, but I actually remember making fun of organic food and talking about how I thought it was dumb and it was pointless and it didn't mean anything. And yeah, anyway, I was not only not paying attention, I was actually kind of opposed to this idea of being healthier or greener or organic or any of those things. So I've come a long way, needless to say. So as I started reading these blogs and I started looking at books and I got Nourishing Traditions, I know a lot of you started with that book and some different accompanying books, um, I realized I had to start swapping out some of the ingredients that I had in my kitchen. And that's a process. If you've ever done this yourself, you know that this generally doesn't happen overnight. It comes in layers of your own education and your own understanding, but also just what you can afford. Um, so it was a process. But one of the very first places that I started was with the fat that I was cooking with. That's a great place to start. If you're on the same journey, swapping out fats is it's pretty easy. And you're going to get notable health benefits and flavor differences really quickly. So this is one of the very first places I recommend um, that fledgling homesteaders start as they begin to transform their kitchen. So today I'm going to talk about the three categories of fat or the types of fat that I will not buy. And I have not purchased these in well over a decade. I do not miss them. 
I do not need them. And it's not even one of those things that I'm like, man, I wish I could use that ingredient, but I'm not going to, cause I know it's bad for me. So I'm just going to have to limp along. Like, no, I don't even miss them. They are not a necessity in a kitchen. So I'm excited to dive into this topic with you and give you some ideas and hopefully inspire you to do some fat swapping. So here we go. Um, this is going to be fun. So the first type of fat or oil or whatever you want to call it that I have not bought in over a decade and I will not buy is canola oil or vegetable oil that are kind of like in that same family. So canola oil was actually kind of has an interesting history. It was touted as healthy originally when it kind of hit the market back when the FDA banned rapeseed oil in the 1950s. So rapeseed oil was really popular until they realized it was causing heart damage, which is, it was like notable problems with rapeseed oil. So canola is still actually, I believe a a type of rapeseed oil, but uh, researchers or food people kept refining it and tweaking the rapeseed oil until they were able to come up with a version that had lower amounts of ureic acid. And I may not be saying that right. It's E-R-U-C-I-C, uruic, ureic somewhere in that ballpark, but that is what I'm talking about. Anyway, that's the component of rapeseed oil that was found to cause heart damage. So they realized that if they kind of tweaked canola, they played with canola, they could lower that uh, uric acid con content and reduce the heart problems associated with it. So canola oil took the scene. It was the shining star because everyone was convinced that saturated fats were the bad ones at that point. So everyone started recommending canola oil. And to this day, I'd say a lot of people still use it. Um, it's the main oil that I purchased back in the day. <clears throat> and I know, um, you know, I've just seen a lot of people's pantries. So here's the problem with canola oil. or And I kind of lump like vegetable oils. Like when you go to the store, you're in the cooking aisle and you have the canola oil bottles, the yellow uh, clear plastic bottles, and next to it are the vegetable oils and things like that. Those are kind of in the same category. Canola especially is generally genetically modified. It's grown with a lot of pesticides. It's just, it's, it's got a lot of stuff that happens when it's being grown that definitely make it less than ideal. It's also usually partially hydrogenated. Now, hydrogenation is the process that is used to turn liquid fats into solids. Um, that's the full hydrogenation. Obviously, canola oil is not a solid, so this partial hydrogenation is used to help it be more shelf-stable for a longer period of time. The problem with hydrogenated fats is that they contain trans fats. Now, don't always agree with the typical USDA, FDA, whatever, food pyramid recommendations, but pretty much everyone agrees, whether we're talking um, the food authorities or natural food people like me, we all agree that trans fats are definitely bad. They're the worst. And the problem when we have that partial hydrogenation, we have trans fats in the oils and the fats. 
Those cause a lot of problems. And there's a long laundry list of the issues associated with canola oil. And you can uh, look that up on a Google search if you really want to dive deep. But the biggest one is it really promotes inflammation. It can actually cause cellulite. Um, it just causes a lot of internal imbalances that we just don't need. So I would absolutely avoid buying canola oil and also be watchful because a lot of the processed foods that you're purchasing, the pre-made foods, the packaged, the, the bagged and the canned and the frozen, those are used or those are made with canola oils or similar oils. So that's kind of why, you know, I do encourage the from scratch, um, for a lot of reasons, but you can't control the oils that have been used in those processed foods. And they're usually not ideal. Okay. The, another fat that I will not purchase ever, no matter what, even if it was the last fat on earth is margarine. Now, I think most of you listening to this probably also have a beef with margarine. Um, so I'm probably preaching to the choir. It's another option that was once touted as a healthier alternative to butter right? It's healthier than butter and it's not going to make you fat the same way as butter. It's kind of this child of the industrialization era. Uh, margarine is also hydrogenated. It's usually some sort of cocktail of different vegetable oils that are hydrogenated. So they're solid, which then also means they contain trans fats. Now, of course, these vegetable oils, it takes a lot of fancy work in a factory to make this happen. And that's kind of my rule. If it takes an entire factory and scientists <laughs> to get an oil, it's probably not a good option for us. It's not a natural fat. It's not a good fat. Probably shouldn't be eating it. And that's definitely the case with margarine. It has to be bleached. It has to be dyed to make people want to eat it. Um, and of course, it's a vegetable oil, hydrogenated, so it has that same health issue associated with it as we see with the canola oils and the vegetable oils. I, I think there was a myth floating around that margarine was originally created to fatten up turkeys, and I believe that's a myth. It's not true because I was trying to find out if that was like a fact. I think it's, it's kind of an urban myth. It was actually created by a French chemist to help feed troops. They were trying to find a, a cost-effective way to feed the troops. But anyway, it's kind of got an interesting history. Um, I was reading up on it, and interestingly enough, back when it hit the market and they were really promoting it, the dairy industry, you know, the, the butter producers were angry. And so there was some pushback. And so there was a law, I believe, and I don't think it was federal, but it was like in certain states, margarine was not allowed to be sold with yellow food coloring because the butter people or the dairy, the dairy guys were like, nope, too close to butter. It's too confusing. And so they got this legislation passed that you could not sell yellow margarine, um, which if you can imagine white margarine, like smearing that on bread, that's just horribly unappetizing. So what some companies would do would they would sell the yellow dye packet with your white margarine and you could mix it yourself. So you'd have yellow. It's just crazy. Anyway. Um, yeah, fascinating, fascinating history. So go re read about it, research it. If you want some interesting reading, just don't eat it. Okay. Sound good. Got a deal. Okay. Now, the last fat that I will not have in my kitchen, no matter what, is Crisco or vegetable shortening. 
Um, I kind of use those terms interchangeably. Now, now I discovered a couple years ago, I had a reader say they call um, all fat that you would use like in a pie crust or biscuits, they call it all shortening. And as I was researching this, I found out that back in the day, um, that's absolutely true. So they would call lard shortening or they would call butter shortening. In our day and age now, we kind of associate the word shortening with the tubs of Crisco. So that's what I, when I say shortening, that's what I'm referring to. But I know some, some older listeners, some older readers, you might have a different uh, association with that word, which is totally cool. It makes sense. So Crisco is short for crystallized cottonseed oil, which just sounds extremely appetizing. And it's kind of in that same realm, right? It's sold as what we use in baking. And a lot of us, you know, I, not a lot of us, I used to use it in baking. I don't use it anymore. Um, but it was created as a lard replacement, basically back in the day. So up to this point in time, lard was what we used for biscuits and, and pie crusts. And as we kind of got away from the farm and industrialization took over and lard, you know, we all didn't have pigs in the backyard with lard. So Crisco made sense. Now it is hydrogenated. It's solid, which means it has the trans fats and we have all those same health benefits. Also, it always has kind of bothered me how hard it is to wash it off of things. Like, you know, if you have it in a measuring cup, you got to use some extra strength dishwashing soap to get the stuff off. It just is like this weird, it's this, this compound <laughs> that sticks on there um, till, you know, forever, which just makes me wonder what it does in our insides, how it clogs or coats or anyway, it's not something I use and you don't have to use it either. So here I am bashing on all these fats and you're probably going, great, Jill, what do we have left? What am I going to bake with? Or am I supposed to like never make cookies and pie crust again? So the good news is you've got some options. You've got some really healthy options. These are not only alternatives or replacements to these unhealthy industrialized fats. They actually are good for you. So they're not just neutral. They're actually proactively healthy for your body. So here are my three replacements. I have a number of different fats in my kitchen, but these are the ones that I depend on the most. Okay. So <clears throat> olive oil, number one, it is my go-to liquid oil. There are other options. I don't use much of anything else. I guess I'm just kind of boring in that regard. I do have a small bottle of sesame oil that I will use occasionally for different Asian dishes when I want that uh, nutty toasted sesame flavor. But olive oil is kind of what I use for everything else. There is a little bit of a myth that floats around that you are never, never, never supposed to heat olive oil. And I used to follow that. I've actually since discovered that you can heat olive oil a little bit. It's actually not as um, low of a smoke point as many of us have been told, which I feel like I may get some emails about this. So I encourage you to go do some research. Olive oil actually has a fairly high, not, well, I wouldn't say high, it has a higher smoke point than you think. So extra virgin olive oil has a smoke point of around 320 degrees Fahrenheit and regular virgin olive oil has a smoke point of 420 
degrees Fahrenheit. So as long as you don't heat it crazy high, like I would not recommend frying in olive oil, but a gentle bit of heating, heating is not a bad thing. It's not going to hurt the oil. It's not going to damage it or make it unhealthy for you. We use olive oil every morning when we make eggs. Uh, I like the flavor it adds to the eggs. It's very easy, um, and we're not cooking those eggs on crazy high temperatures, right? There's no smoke happening. So it's a great option for that. Now, the thing I didn't realize about olive oil for many, many years, because I was just buying the cheap bottles of olive oil on the grocery store shelf, I didn't know what olive oil was supposed to taste like. I know that sounds bizarre, but I just kind of assumed it was this very mild, tasteless, neutral oil. Even the extra virgin oils I was purchasing, they were just very nondescript. So when I got an actual bottle of high quality olive oil, I was blown away at the flavor and it can be actually very strong. Olive oil can be peppery, it can be fruity, it can be herbaceous or even have like a grassy taste, which I realize doesn't sound good at first glance. It's actually pretty good when you uh, add it with other flavors, but olive oil has a lot of personality. You just have to make sure you are getting the good stuff. Now, unfortunately, because there is such a demand for olive oil, there's also a lot of crooked stuff that happens in the industry. And there's not a lot of regulation. So it's one of those things where um, suppliers can dilute your olive oil down with other oils, potentially even the unhealthy processed oils, and they don't have to necessarily label it as such. So I'm very careful and I'm very particular where I get my olive oil because not only I want to know what I'm getting is the real deal, but the flavor is fantastic. It, it totally adds a different profile of flavor to my dishes. So where I get mine, I get it from a place called the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. It's an online supplier because Let's face it, uh, olives are not a local food here in Wyoming, um, and I get about a bottle a month is what we use, and I've been using them forever. They're really good. I'll, I'll leave a link to them in the show notes. Just so you know, right now, this week, we are they are running this special just for Prairie Homestead people, which you are one of us, right? You can get a dollar bottle of their, there's a full size bottle of their olive oil, uh, for a dollar. I said that backwards. You can get a full size bottle of olive oil for a dollar and you just have to pay that dollar. And that includes the shipping and everything. So if you want to try their oils, I highly recommend that. And you can go check that out at www.getfresh, G E T F R E S H. 23, like just the number 23.com. So getfresh23.com. I realize that sounds like a weird website address. It's legit. I promise. We just wanted to make it short. So you guys didn't have to remember something crazy while you're listening. But anyway, go check that out. There's more info on that page, but those are the olive oils I use every single day. And I love them. Okay. So the fat or oil or whatever number two that I use all the time in my kitchen, that would be butter or coconut oil. And I kind of lumped those together because they're not always interchangeable, but a lot of the times they are. When I am baking things like cookies or quick breads, um, that's what I use. And sometimes I use both. Sometimes I use one. Sometimes I swap them out. 
coconut oil, I find that I like, you know, if I'm having a, a banana bread recipe and it calls for a half a cup of melted, or it doesn't even usually say melted, it'll just say half a cup of canola oil, I will use a half a cup of melted coconut oil instead. And it doesn't affect the finished texture of the breads. Uh, it's fantastic. So coconut oil is great. Butter, of course, we love butter. Butter is amazing. If you have a dairy cow, you can make your own. And butter is so good for you. If you have a good butter from grass-fed cows, it's not just something to make your foods taste better. It like has some impressive health benefits. Um, Grass-fed butter has vitamin A and vitamin K2 and conjugated linoleic acid, which is a really big word. We, we call it CLA for short. It's very anti-inflammatory, a lot of health benefits. So when you are ditching the margarine for butter, you're actually doing your body a favor. It's not just getting rid of the bad. You're actually being proactively good. Um, and again, I don't, I don't find that I, we miss margarine. We don't need it for baking. If a recipe calls for margarine, I just use butter or coconut oil instead. Very rarely do I notice any sort of change or texture difference in the recipe. They're pretty much a one-to-one -one substitute. Okay, now number three. This is an old-fashioned fat. I love having these in my kitchen. Well, they are, you may be even waiting for this, lard and tallow, which of course a lot of folks are like, you're cooking with lard. You are weirder than I thought. Lard is an amazing fat. So a little bit of clarification here. Lard is fat from pigs. Tallow is fat from cows, right? So pigs, cows, that's the difference. Um, generally, when we are butchering pigs or cows, I will save what is called the leaf fat, L-E-A-F, leaf, like the, the kind of things that float down from trees in the fall. Leaf fat that is simply the fat that resides around the kidney of the pig or the cow. And the reason that that fat is preferable is because it has a milder flavor. And you can save the, the various fat scraps from elsewhere on the animal, and you can render those down into lard or tallow, but they will be a little more strong tasting, a little more uh, bacony or a little more beefy, which may not be a bad thing, but if you are using your lard for a pumpkin pie, you might not want bacon in there, just saying. So, leaf fat is fantastic for lard. It's what I specifically ask for from the butcher. Um, sometimes they'll look at you weird, but they usually know what you're talking about and they will save that back for you. You can freeze it as is, and then you can defrost it and render it down later, or you can render it down right away. The finished lard or tallow technically should be shelf stable at room temperature. So you can keep it in a cool, dark place, like a root cellar with a, a lid on it, of course. Or, you know, if you want, you can keep it in your fridge or you can freeze it. So with my lard, I usually just keep it in my pantry. Um, tallow, I, I often have a lot of it. So I'll store it in the freezer. But basically, lard is what I love to use for pie crusts or biscuits. The texture is fantastic. It gives that flakiness. My absolute favorite pie crust is half lard, half butter. 
like so <laughs> decadent sounding, right? It's amazing. Um, tallow is a little bit harder. It's a firmer fat. So what I'll do with tallow is use it for frying. If we're going to make homemade French fries, it's so good. Or tallow is also a great option for homemade soaps or candles. And that's what our, our homesteading ancestors would have used tallow for. Um, here's a little side note. Back in the day, McDonald's used tallow to fry their French fries. I don't know when that stopped, uh, but it kind of gave that beefy, a little bit of a beefy undertone, that signature flavor. And now, of course, they don't use tallow, but they still add a little bit of flavoring to kind of mimic that. So it's a great French fry option. You can also use bacon grease, which I feel like probably a lot of you are already saving your bacon grease. Uh, and I definitely save mine. I just pour it into a jar. I usually keep it in the fridge, although you could probably keep it on your countertop as well. Bacon grease obviously has more flavor. It's saltier. It has the bacon vibe. So it's not something I'm going to use for pie crusts or pastries, but it is really good for sauteing onions or garlic or vegetables as we're starting a recipe. Bacon grease is basically free, right? And it, it's good. It tastes really good. So it adds a little bit extra uh, flavor pop. So anyway, those are the three fats I use, or four, I guess, that I use the most. Olive oil, butter slash coconut oil, and lard or tallow. Here's, here's the reminder for you. Here's the way that you can kind of <clears throat> keep in mind when you are shopping. If the fat you are looking at requires an entire factory and scientists to produce it, skip it, right? It takes a lot of work to get oil out of canola. It takes a process. That means it is industrialized and it's probably got some stuff in it that your body is not going to appreciate. Stick with the natural fats. Stick with the fats that our ancestors have been using for thousands of years, right? The ones that we can produce at home or produce with very minimal work or processing, those are the ones to really seek out. And it'll be better for you and your food is gonna taste a whole heck of a lot better too. And just a reminder, if you wanna grab that $1 bottle of olive oil, and again, it's a full-size bottle, not a sample size, go to www.getfresh23.com. We'll drop that link in the show notes um, in case you need it. You just input your info and they'll send that to you. It's definitely worth a try. There's no strings attached and it's really good oil. Now, the only catch is that we can only offer this until October 29th, 2019. So if you're listening to this episode after the fact, I'm sorry, but um, the offer is expired. We may do it again next year. I'm not sure, but hopefully you're listening to this before so you can pop over there and get your $1 bottle. And that is it. If you have a minute, I would be so honored to have you hit subscribe and leave a quick review over on your favorite podcast player so more people can add homesteading into their lives. Thanks for listening and I'll catch up with you next time on the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.